Thank you, Brother Terry. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Let me read that again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. I was thinking this past week and looking over our, our country as a whole, looking over our, our community, looking over our church, our church families. And obviously, we're in a spiritual drought today in America. For whatever reasons, it seems that God has taken His power off America. There are between 6,000 and 10,000 churches that close their doors in America every year. The SBC Net states that in 2015, 900 Southern Baptist churches closed their doors for the last time, with as many as 70% of them in growing neighborhoods. Southern Baptist Convention reported in 2019 that Southern Baptist churches were down 7,000 in baptisms, the lowest number in 30 years. We're the world's largest Protestant denomination. The annual Southern Baptist Convention church profile of 2019 showed Membership fell to 14.8 million in 2018. That's the first time below 15 million since 1989. The Catholic Church has increased its membership from 45 million to 72 million. But as of April the 9th, 2018, they only had 39% of American Catholics attending church weekly. Compared to 45% of American Protestants. So prior to the pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, less than 50% attended church weekly. Now during the pandemic, the picture gets worse. After churches closed in America for two months, one-third of former members who had been watching online services quit after six months, meaning they backslid. For at least two years, we've been told by church growth specialists that revitalization is needed in nearly two-thirds of American churches. Got to thinking about that. Revitalization, changing things, trying to revitalize the church. I've been to some workshops about revitalization. And as I thought about revitalization, I want to suggest to you this morning that revitalization is useless unless... Revival comes to God's people. Friend, listen, you can change the church name. You can take Baptist off the marquee. You can put a secular name, a contemporary name. 
and still remain a dead church. You can change locations. That's needed at times. I understand that. However, if the same spiritual dead people move into a church with a new name and a new building location, you'll just have the same spiritual dead congregation in a new location with a new name. Nothing else changes. So revitalization is useless without revival. So the point being, we need revival in America. But also the point being, we need revival. We, Mountain View Baptist Church, need revival. Now, you may think that we're doing good, but we're not doing good. And the reason I say that as a pastor is because we could do much, much, much better. However, we aren't. And as a pastor, I feel that the reason for that is that our passion and our conviction and the boldness for the things of God are playing second fiddle to the passion that so many of our members have for the world. Passion. This morning, check your passion for the things of God. See how much passion you have for the things of God as compared to the things of the world. Passion. A definition that strong and barely controllable emotion. Do you have a strong and barely controllable emotion when it comes to the things of God? Passion. Another definition is that feeling of intense enthusiasm towards something or someone. Question, do you have that intense enthusiasm toward Jesus Christ or something or someone? If we could just have the same passion for Christian disciplines, such as devotion time and Bible study and prayer and witnessing and church attendance and missions, local missions and foreign missions, as we do for our hunting and fishing and boating and golfing and camping and our three-day weekend vacations and football and baseball, and the list goes on and on. Sad to say, we have parents who travel miles and miles to take their children to play sports. Travel ball. Travel miles and miles to take their children to play sports. Drive so much farther to take their children for a secular event than they spend in driving miles to the house of God. I can't put it all together. Parents, let me tell you something. They probably will never have a good chance to make it to the pros. A good chance. Probably a slim chance. 
to make it to the pros in baseball or football, but they will have an excellent opportunity to go to hell without Jesus Christ or to grow up and marry and have difficulties in their families because they've not been discipled by the Word of God. We need revival in America, including Mountain View Baptist Church. We need a revival in our passion for the things of God, especially the ordinary, the expected Christian disciplines, but also our passion in serving God. Serving with our spiritual gifts and our natural abilities. Some of you are holding out on God. While at the same time turning loose with secular things in the world. Let me challenge you to have as much passion for the things of God in your service for God as you do in what you're doing in the world. Probably, let me challenge you to have much more than that. But secondly, we need a revival not only for passion, but we need a revival for our convictions. Now, I'm not talking about the convictions of the Holy Spirit to to reveal sin to us. I know the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And He does a great job in doing that. But that's not the conviction I'm talking about. I'm speaking about having a strong belief or an opinion that you believe is true because of your biblical worldview. Having convictions about something that you feel with all your heart is true because of your biblical worldview. Now you have a biblical worldview and you have a secular worldview. As a believer, we're to have biblical worldviews. I have strong biblical convictions. I have a conviction about abortion i believe that it's wrong i believe that it's diabolical i believe it's inhumane i believe it's murder because it's taken the life of another human being i.e a defenseless baby now why do i believe that that's a biblical that's my biblical worldview based on jeremiah 1 5 before i formed you in the womb i knew you before you were born i sanctified you i ordained you a prophet to the nations that's my biblical worldview only one scripture there are many 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 others but i have deep convictions about abortion i have deep convictions about lying, about fornication, about idolatry, about adultery, about homosexuality. I have deep conviction about those things. I have deep conviction uh, based on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Listen to this. Timothy is speaking about why the law is established. Verse 9, we'll go up to verse 9. It says, The law is not made for righteous persons, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers. And verse 10, For fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. Is there is any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine? That's a biblical conviction based on God's Word. 
I have biblical convictions based on God's Word. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. Or if you would, uh, I believe it's verse, um, verse, verse 8. He talks of verse 7. He who comes shall inherit all things, and I'll be his God, and he shall be my people, my son. This is chapter 21. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I have strong convictions about that. Based on God's Word. I have strong convictions based on alcohol um, because of my biblical worldview. I believe alcohol, based on my biblical worldview, kills you physically, and I believe it kills you spiritually. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10 says, No drunkard will enter the kingdom of heaven. I majored in social work. I have a bachelor of social work degree, and I know what alcohol does to individuals and families and communities. I volunteered. I did volunteered work, uh, volunteer work in an alcohol rehab center while I was in college. I love the alcoholic, but I hate the brew. I hate it with a passion. I have strong convictions in regards to alcohol. By the way, let me just list a side note here. If you live in the town of Phil Campbell, you need to have passion and conviction when you go to vote in the city election August the 25th. You better know who your candidate is. You better know what they believe and what they want to bring to Phil Campbell. You better exercise your civil duty as a believer, as a, as a citizen first and a resident of Phil Campbell, but also as a believer and go participate in this election. Why is that? Because alcohol has already been talked about and discussed as a way to bring extra tax revenue back to Phil Campbell. So if you live in Phil Campbell, you need to go vote. You need to call people you know in Phil Campbell and let them know what's going to be down the road just a few, few more months after the election. However, I believe a biblical worldview when it comes to alcohol Habakkuk 2.15, the Word of God says this, Woe to him who gives strong drink to his neighbor, pressing him to the bottle, even to make him drunk, that they may look on his nakedness, or look on his shame. To put it simple, the Christian Crier publication described or defined that word woe. Woe is a strong term that's usually associated as a warning or a judgment from God. And so the Scripture says, Habakkuk 2.15, Woe to him who gives strong drink to his neighbor. There's a woe there. It means that something bad is going to happen and it will not be pretty at all to those who give strong drink to their neighbor. The point is, there's going to be judgment to those who offer strong drink. And I believe the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, I believe that judgment will come to those who vote to offer that strong drink to individuals. We need revival. We need revival in America, but we need revival. We need revival in our passion 
that intense enthusiasm about the things of God. We need revival in regards to conviction, those strong beliefs and opinions based on the Word of God. But we need revival in our boldness. We need boldness in confronting evil. If you would, turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to share a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 4. And we'll look at uh, verses 1 through 4. And then... uh, Acts chapter 4, 1 through 4, let me just briefly explain. Peter and John, they were arrested for preaching that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. Then those they had preached to, the Bible says many believed that after they had heard the word and the number that believed were about 5,000 men. Acts chapter 4, verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day after their preaching and after these men believed that their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, Peter and John, they asked, By what power, by what name have you done this? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to to a helpless man, by what means he's been made well, let it be known to you that to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which, the, uh, which was rejected by you builders, which, was, which become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which by must be saved. I have a conviction in how many ways there is to be saved. I have a conviction that there's only one name under heaven that a person can be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no other name. He's the only way to God. He's the only way to heaven. That's what he said. That's what, uh, that's what was said here in Acts chapter 4, verse, um, verse 12, verse 13. Drop down to verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and which we've heard. So they threatened them. And he says, listen, we, we're going to go ahead and continue to preach, and uh, there's no way that we're going to stop preaching. So they threatened them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Look at verse 19 and 20. I just read that. talks about Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. We cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. That's boldness. That's boldness. And so our family and friends and neighbors are dying without Christ. And here we sit without passion, without conviction, without boldness to speak to them about the name of Jesus. God have mercy on us. We need revival. Joshua back there in Joshua 24. You'll go back just for a moment. There in Joshua Joshua's 99, he's 90 years old. But his greatest ministry just is ahead of him. He, he died at 110. He really begins his greatest ministry at 90. And so in 20 years, he did his greatest work for Christ. 
And so as he led God's people over Jordan into the promised land, now he delivers this final farewell message to the people. And notice, as he ends this message, he drives home for a decision. Look, if you will, in verse 15. It seems, if it seems evil to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites, whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so he, he, he says, choose you this day. He presses for the decision. Choose you this day. He pressed for a decision. Would it be out of character for a preacher to give an invitation or to press for a decision? Of course not. It's not strange. Do you really think it's unscriptural or out of character for a preacher to call for or to press for an appeal for a person to come to Christ? Is it out of character for a preacher to say, you need to give your heart to God, an appeal for you to open your soul toward Godward or toward Christ? Is that out of character for a preacher? Not in the Old Testament, and also not in the New. And so the first thing Joshua did was he, he pressed for an appeal to the people. And the second thing he did, he used his own dedication for an example. There in 15, he said this, for, me, for As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So publicly, he sealed it with his life. There was no debate about it. There was no discussion about it. He said, I'm determined. I'm resolved. I've decided. It's not that I'm hot, cold, lukewarm. You see, really what he's saying, you don't have time to dilly-dally around with your commitment to the Lord Jesus. You either saved or lost. You've committed yourself to him or you've not committed yourself to him. You've even given him your life, or you've not given him your life. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And he had the passion, and he had the conviction, and he had the boldness. And so we need Joshua's to step out and be bold and courageous and say, As for me and my house, men, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, moms, we're going to serve the Lord. We need revival. How bad will it have to get before we'll, those that are called by His name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way and ask God to forgive them and turn to Him as He promises to heal our land. Isn't it bad enough already for us to do that? I mean, we have a worldwide epidemic. We have locusts. You may not know this. We have locusts in Africa and Asia that's just going havoc over all the crops over there. We have an economic collapse worldwide. We have riots. We have murders. We have political turmoil. We have racial hatred. What else are we waiting on? A nationwide pandemic? We have that. But yet, we've made up our minds not to take a stand to serve the Lord with all of our power, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, or to be saved. Let me encourage you. I hope you realize today that we need revival, and we need it in our passion. 
We need it in our convictions. And we need it in our boldness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had just to open your word. As we look for the challenge there in Second Chronicles, and we, we could see the Joshua at over 90 years old as he comes to the end of his life, how his words at the end of his life was to challenge the people to serve the Lord and not the world. And so I pray today you, you have spoken to our hearts. And I pray that people today will not wait another day. Help us to realize that today, choose today to serve the Lord. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for some and a recommitment for others. Lord, we're in a mess in our world. And uh, I don't know what else it's going to take. But Lord, I pray that revival starts here today. As Lord, we humble our hearts and we searched our hearts, and we see perhaps where we've walked away in different ways, in Christian disciplines, in our serving, whatever. Help us, we pray, to come to you today and uh, ask you to forgive us and recommit ourselves to you. Thank you for what you're going to do. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to lead us in Onward Christian Soldiers. You know, for four weeks I, I preached on spiritual...